0: greetings everyone and welcome to timothy's table a part of the timothy network this is a place to talk and learn from timothy's and paul's of our generation my name is taylor fairbanks and i'm so pumped that you're listening because it means that you might be here for your second time or your first either way It's all good. This is the second edition of Timothy's Table, and it is part two of a series that we did during a crusade last September in the country of Bangladesh. Last edition of Timothy's Table, we got to hear from Pastor David Myers and Riley Martin, and this edition is going to be an interview with missionary Nathan Herod, who is fulfilling the call of God on his family in the country of Spain, based in the city of Barcelona. And it also features a good friend of mine, Landon Gore, who is a tremendous young evangelist that is used mightily in the spirit. Once again, I do need to warn you, this was recorded on iPhones in Bangladesh, and so the audio really isn't all that great. But once again, I also believe that the content of the interview outmatches the quality of sound. Um, This is a conversation about the call of God. It's a conversation about some of missionary Herod's obstacles, because we all, or if you know him, you know that he is able to preach in Spanish, is loved amongst the Spanish people. But what's so cool is that we find out in this interview, he actually didn't even know Spanish whenever he went to Spain. And so we get to hear that story. We get to hear parts of Landon's story, and this exchange really helped me. And it edified me and my my spirit, My um, it helped my hesitation and insecurities when it comes to looking at the call of God on my life, because it can be a daunting thing to think that God can use me and all my frailties, all my faults. And this transparency in this interview really, really did help me. And I I pray it helps you. And so once again, get your passport ready, because we're headed to Colna. To sit down with missionary Herod and evangelist Landon Gore at Timothy's table. All right, everybody, this is our second edition
1: of Timothy's table, and I'm incredibly pumped about this edition. I've I've got a very good friend of mine, Landon Gore, as the Timothy of of this episode. Uh, He has been full time evangelizing for four years, and what are you, 24, 25? Almost 25. Almost 25, yes. and uh, already evangelizing for four years, graduated president. That was a class at TPC. So um, not only that, but as as somebody that knows him on a relatively personal level, I know that Landon has a real walk with God, and he's I mean, he's, he's the real deal. And then uh, our Paul, I'm like, I'm jumping at the bits right now. Like, I'm pumped about having... Bishop Nathan Herod. Um, he is a uh, missionary to uh, really Barcelona, Spain, but honestly, all of Spain. I mean, and he's been there uh, 14 years, um, and he'll be talking a bit about that. So I'm very, very excited about this. And uh, this, of course, is to help encourage and equip the next generation of world changers. and. We're going to have Landon lead the conversation. I may jump in every now and then, but for the most part, it'll be a conversation that Landon leads uh, with Brother Herod. And so, Landon, if you don't mind, go ahead and take this take this uh, conversation,
2: take it away. Well, I'm very excited to have this talk today with Brother Herod. Um, I've had the privilege of knowing him from afar and up close, and I have immense respect for him and his walk with god and and not only his his walk with god but also his influence and his impact on our on our generation and so i'm really excited about this conversation because it kind of um allows kind of a behind the scenes aspect that's not always um seen from from everyone else and so you know brother herod um we'll just we'll just jump in um people have um seen videos of what's happening in Barcelona, Spain. Um, people have heard your messages at General Conference and, and various other conferences. And so they, they kind of see the highlights and they um, hear of the great revival that's happening in, in Spain. Many have gotten to come on AYC and, and, and be a part. Um, but where, where did that actually start for you? Um, where did that actually all began for you? Did, did you always know that you were going to be in ministry? Did you grow up with that calling? Um, what, was that, what was that
3: process if we were to go back to the very beginning? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe since as long as I can remember, I felt a call on my life and I knew, uh, I knew I would be in the ministry uh, as long as I can remember. But uh, as far as missions work and overseas work, that didn't come about until I was 16 years old and I was in a mission service. And um, missionary to Madagascar, and they were showing a video of the souls—you know, thousands of souls getting the Holy Ghost. Thousands of souls there, and and uh, God specifically began to deal with me about missions that that night, and I wept at the altar, and and uh, just I knew I knew that my ministry would not be in the states at, at the age of sixteen. And uh, I didn't know where. I didn't feel a calling. I didn't necessarily feel a calling to that country. But I did. It was it was a confirmation, I guess, in my spirit is all I can say. The Lord didn't speak in an audible voice and say, you're going to go into missions. It was just a a knowledge. It was just, I just knew. It was just an understanding. And and um, so that's what uh, my first calling. And, and then, then after I graduated high school and I went to Bible school, um, it was still there in the back of my mind. I knew. At some point, I would minister overseas. I'd be overseas. I didn't know, still didn't know how that would come about, to be honest. Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't any type of plan, or, or I, I didn't go on an AYC trip or anything. Um, in, in Bible school, I did go to, um, we had a missions trip. We were a missions class, rode, uh, raised money to help build a church in Honduras, and I did go on that trip. That was my first time out of the country. Um, I was probably I was 18 years old, I guess, and I went and um, I've, I loved it. You know, we went, we preached in the churches, we we helped build the uh, the church in that city of Tegucigalpa, and um, but I didn't necessarily feel a call in there either. It just, again was a process, and um, then I got married um, in the middle of Bible school, and my wife and I. Um, as I, I, I finished Bible, as, as, as I neared the end of Bible school, the end of my fourth year, the Lord basically opened the door for us to go to Spain. And so before I graduated, we began to talk um, about going on the AIM program. My father in law had started the church in Barcelona, and he was, uh, it was brand new church, just having to start it, and he was having to leave and, and go back to the States. Uh, for deputation, and so they contacted us, contacted us and asked us you know would you would uh you be willing or would you like to come and and for for a year you know help the church a brand new church pastor the church, help us out here and in the beginning i you know, I said well I, you know I guess I guess we could think about it i didn't necessarily feel even a calling to that yeah. um, and uh, my wife, to be honest to my wife in the beginning she was she was not in favor of it. She's like, you know, I, she said, I, I've done missions. My wife grew up in Bolivia, South America, as a missionary kid. And so she was like, I, I grew up in overseas. I, I want to live in America. <laughs> and so I was like, I said, well, baby, you know, it just, it's just be a year. We'll just, yeah. we'll just go a year. And, just a year. <laughs> and I said, you know, if, if, it's, if it's the will of God, then, then God will open the door for us to go. And so we talked about it. We prayed about it and we didn't necessarily feel God, you know, God didn't give us a dream. He didn't give us, um, he didn't give us a, a, a specific direction, but it was kind of that open door. And, um, so we decided we'd try to raise money, uh, to go to live in Spain for a year. And, uh, you know, I wrote letters to everybody I knew. I, I, you know, people gave, gave us money here and there, but I needed, I don't remember how much it was. It was probably like 20, $25,000. And, uh, there was no way I was coming up with that kind of money, and it was like three months before we were supposed to be going. Um, I was I was finishing school in that December, um, December of 2003, and we were three months away, and I we had like $2,000 raised, and I was like, well, if it's you know if it's not the will of God, then then we'll be staying here, but if it's the will of God, then the money will come in, and and we'll go, and so we just kind of been. Prepared ourselves again, not necessarily feeling de- definite direction, but at the same time thinking, well, if this is the will of God, then, then the doors will open up. And it was in that last three months before we went that God miraculously began to provide the funds for us to go. And, and, and uh, people that we didn't even know started giving us money, you know, uh, writing us $1,000 checks. And, and within a month's time, we had raised our budget that we needed to go to Spain. Wow. And so uh, I told my wife, I said, man, I, I guess we're going to Spain. And so we... At this point, was she still a little conflicted or was she kind of noticing the hand of the Lord in it all? Yeah, uh, she, she noticed the hand of the, the Lord, but absolutely she was still conflicted. But I calmed her nerves and, you know, this is just for a year, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is for a year. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, we'll, go and we'll, awesome. we'll go and we'll help them out for a year and then we'll come back and we'll see, we'll see what God has for us. And, and so we went, we went to Spain. I didn't speak the language. My wife spoke Spanish. I didn't speak the language. Um, so that was either ignorance or faith. I don't really know, uh, you know why I decided I will go to Spain. I don't even speak Spanish pastor church and I don't even speak Spanish. And, um, but God was merciful. and We went and to be honest in the, in the first, the first few months, probably the first six months, we, we did our job. We, we did what we felt needed to be done. We were in a maintained mode, to be honest, um, because our mentality was, you know, we're here for a year, and after this, you know, we're going back to the stage, you know, whatever God opens up for us. And to be honest, uh, we were in a maintenance mode. You know, let's just hold this thing together. It's a new church. Let's hold it together, and then we're out of here. And it was in that six months that the Lord spoke to me, and began to deal with me strongly. And the Lord told me, he said, Nathan, you, you better start working here like this is for the rest of your life. And, and I repented, and I, I repented. And I went to my wife, and I, say, I said, Tanya, we've got to repent together. I said, we've, we've been doing our duty. We've been doing what needs to be done. but We have not been given everything that we should give. And I said, we need to work here like this is for life. If it's six months, it's six months, but we work like it's forever. And, you know, if God wants us here a year, then we'll be here a year. But while we're here, whatever the case is, then we give 100%. And so that's what changed everything in us and changed things in the the church in Spain, really, Um, because as soon as we committed to... Being there for life, knowing that in the back of our mind this this may not be life, it may be six months, it may be maybe a year, but we're we're committed to work as if this is, this is forever. Yeah. and uh, when we begin to do that, we begin to pour ourselves into the work, we begin to teach Bible studies, pray, do things like we've never done before. We, we started a, another daughter church uh, out of our church, well not necessarily daughter church. I, we went to a city about two hours. Away um, that we had two contacts with, and we begin to travel on the train every Saturday, and meet with these two people. In the beginning, it was in a in a cafeteria, like a cafe, and uh, we'd have coffee and we'd talk about the Bible and we'd talk about uh, begin to give Bible studies. And every Saturday, we'd take that two-hour train ride back and forth. And it was during that time that God began to lay it on our hearts that, or I, I would say, on my heart, this is where you're supposed to be. The church just doubled overnight. We started another daughter church. Uh, we started two other. started then another daughter church, and the work was just growing. And uh, we came towards the end of a year, and the missionary who was supposed to come back, an accident happened. He wasn't able to come back, and so there we were for uh, looking at another year. And so again, we were like, "All right, well, if we're supposed to be here another year, we're running out of money. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have to have some money somehow." And we prayed, all right, God, if I believe it's your will for us to be here now, but you're going to have to provide the money. Right. And again, the Lord helped us, and, and people and, and funds started coming in places. People I didn't even know began to send us money, and it was just a God thing. And I began to become convinced that it was the will of God to be missionaries in the nation of Spain. Now, my wife, she still wasn't convinced. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another, So was she—
2: yeah. Was, she, was she translating for you during this time, or had you been getting to pick up Spanish,
3: or yeah. what was that? You know, the first six months I began. She, began, the first six months at least, she was and more. She translated for me, and um, uh, another young man in the church would help me. And after about six months, I began to try to preach in Spanish. It wasn't good Spanish, um, but I'd have him help me and write out my message, and then I would I would preach it to my wife Saturday night. I would preach my message in Spanish to her. Um, you know three or four times you know and and uh, she would I receive have, the Holy Ghost yeah, every time she, you preached it if she received it. the Holy Ghost I knew it was going to work <laughs> on Sunday and you know I'd write it out in English have to help translate in Spanish half the time I didn't even know the words that I was saying you know but I had it on paper yeah. and my wife would help me know how to pronounce it, pronounce it pronunciate it and, and uh, uh, I would I would try to read it with as much anointing as I could you know and then get up on Sunday and and, and, and preach and God was merciful the people were merciful people had patience and you know and the church grew and it was there towards that end of that second year that uh, uh, I began to tell my wife I said you know what you know maybe we should think about doing this full time you know I think God wants us to be here and uh, we were young I, you know when we first went to Spain I was 22 And um, so at the end of that two years, I was 24. And uh, so I told my wife, I said, you know, I think we should apply to be full-time missionaries. I think we should. And uh, my wife necessarily wasn't for it either. She was still, you know, I don't know about this. And I was like, you know, let's just put in the application. We're probably too young anyway. (laughs) You know? They probably wouldn't ever appoint us. I mean, there are people that are, have so much more talent and ability than us that have been, you know, working in their nations and and uh, so much more mature. It, it probably, you know, it, it was. But let's just put it in. Let's just put it in. And if it's the will of God, then you know they'll they'll interview us and they'll meet us. And uh, so that's what we did. We sent him, we sent him, uh, application. And I came home. We came home um, to. At the end of that second year, two and a half years, we came back to the States, and um, we, uh, we had plans to raise some more money to go back to Spain because I had told, we had decided, you know, I feel it's the will of God, so even if they don't appoint us, let's raise more money, let's go back and work. You know, the, even this process could be a long process, but we felt we needed to be there. So we came back. We didn't know how we were going to raise money. I didn't know people. I didn't know pastors really to call Uh, I was very young, and I uh, didn't have connections that that I felt that other people have. You know, I felt like, well, you know, this brother has connections with, you know, because he grew up in a certain district, or he has connections there because of his father, or because of his father-in-law. I didn't really feel like I had many connections, so I knew it was going to have to be God. And when I got back, Brother Rodenbush, who was the regional director at that time, he he said... uh, we had a meeting at the School of Missions. I was being ordained. And uh, he said, Nathan, are are you ready to meet the board? And I laughed and I said, are you kidding? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, you're going to meet the board at General Conference this year. And um, so I met the board, and uh, again, Told my wife, I said, you know, if you know, <laughs> she, she, <laughs> if it's not the will of God,
1: they're <laughs> going to tell us no, you know. I love that every time you convince her with just like a small degree of doubt.
3: <laughs> and that's what you always hang on to. Don't <laughs> lay it
2: all out there,
1: just,
3: yeah. But yes. in my heart, and, and she knew as well. She knew as well, and she would be if she was here, she would tell you yeah. um, as well, and she would talk about kind of her personal insecurities and fears as well. Of she grew up in the mission field, and her her feeling was. I've lived it as a child, but now to try to do it as an adult, I don't, she, she felt She knew parents. what y'all were getting into. She knew it. Yeah. She had a front row seat she, to and, it. and she'll tell you today, she knew when we went on aim, she knew what we were getting into. She knew if we went once, we were there forever. Yeah. yeah. And that's what she was afraid of. And, um, uh, but, uh, the Lord, the Lord, uh, Began to worked on her as well. And it was a process. It, it was a process for her. It was something she knew, but it was a process in accepting that call as well. And I think that every one of us deal with every minister that has dealt with of of that that Moses moment. Well, who am I, you know? And, and we as well looked at our age. And uh, you know, I was we were twenty four, and um, and we met the board. And they they interviewed us and then appointed us as missionaries to Spain, and so that was just the the hand of God. It was the hand of God in all of that, and um, so I guess I was I had, made, I had just turned twenty five, I guess, when um, when we were appointed to Spain, and so there we went on our first deputation and and took off raising money to to head back to Spain, and that was. How many years ago now? Well, that was 2006 when we, when we got our official appointment. So. Wow. So a couple... I mean, there's so much that you said that brings so much of the behind-the-scenes
2: aspect. My brain's going crazy. But one of the things that I think is so important for our generation is that, you know, there were several disadvantages. Yeah. You know, all of us could point to different disadvantages that we have, and we think that automatically disqualifies us, and it doesn't. Yeah. But also, secondly... The fact that y'all had a a blank piece of paper, so to speak, and you were willing to give that blank piece of paper to God and say, you know what, we don't have it all figured out. We don't have it all planned out, but we'll take this first step and we'll be willing vessels and seemingly as y'all would do God's will in one step he would open up the next step uh-huh. and y'all would do God's will for the next step and then and then would come the next step. And I think so many times subconsciously that you know our generation looking at someone as you and your wife or other pastors, other preachers, other missionaries, other people that are doing work in the kingdom of God, we just, we just automatically think, man, they knew exactly where they would be and it just all happened where on the, you know, hindsight is 2020, yeah. you know. Uh, um, I think it's just so encouraging to know that um, you, you didn't have it all figured out, but you were just, you were available and as you would take the next step, I think that's what, would you agree that a
3: lot of the will of God is, is simply taking that next step? Absolutely, I, I think there. The Lord shows us where we're going at times, that, and we can kind of see. We, I, I knew what was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to come to pass, and so I had snippets, you know, in my spirit. I, it was kind of just a, a knowing, a knowledge in my spirit that I, I kind of knew what was going to happen, but I. If you ask me how it's going to happen, I couldn't have told you. I don't know how it was, at, how it was going to happen. And it, I just had to totally trust in God. And, yes, it's, those, it's those just walking through the open door, taking the steps. The you know, And I believe it's in every level of ministry. You continue to not have a clue what you're doing sure. at every stage That's of ministry. That's so encouraging. <laughs> uh, so in every, in every level that you step into, uh, unless everyone else has it figured out, um, and I don't, but it, in every stage, that's where faith comes in. You know it's God, exactly. um, and because I, I recognize I don't have the talent or ability to do what God wants me to do. It has to be reliant on God, and I see what God wants to do in my nation. I see what God wants to do through me. I don't know how He's going to do it. It's just a, I know it's a slow process. It's just a day at a time. What do I need to do today? Um, and the the Lord opens those doors. I can see where it's going. I can see in my spirit where where it's going in ten or fifteen years. I have no clue how I'm going to get there. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, you know, I think another thing that I I kind of caught, and I just I don't want to backtrack, but I, I think it's important is you know I do believe we're entering an era of global apostolic ministry. Yes. And I believe there are young men and young women that are wanting to do a work for the kingdom of God globally. Yes. And so sometimes um, that that might mean that they may not have this specific call to be a missionary. Right. But there's kind of been a myth for a while that, you know, if you're not called to be a missionary, well, then you're exempt from missions work. Yeah. And I think there's a paradigm shift that's happening that... No, we're all global apostolics, and, yes. you know, whether we are overseas uh, for a short time, for a long time, whether we go as teachers, as educators, as musicians, singers, yeah. preachers, youth pastors, overseas needs everything that North America needs. Yes. And so I think sometimes, um, I think there's multiple young men and young ladies, such as myself, you know, that um, I, I looked at God and said, you know, I'm, I don't feel like called to be a missionary, but somehow I felt called to missions. Yeah, absolutely. And now that doesn't mean that that will continue on um, and and come into fruition as um, you know being a missionary, like it did for you and Sister Herod. But what, what could you say to those that that feel um, that feel that that call to? You know what God is wanting to do throughout the earth, but can't. That just as you, you
3: know, can't say, "Oh man, I'm, I'm called to be a missionary." Yeah, it's you know we're in a we're in a time of global harvest and global revival, and the world has shrunk because of transportation, because of social media. Um, the world has gotten a lot smaller. You can be around the world um, in in just a few hours, and. We have the ability and the advantage now to travel wherever. And, and the great thing in our organization, there are so many different opportunities to be involved in missions. So someone might feel a call to, to missions, but not necessarily feel a call to be a missionary. But there are so many different ways that people can get involved. And even as young people, you have the AYC trips, you have the Youth on Missions trips. Um, you have the aim program people who go and serve maybe for three to six months or even a year and um, then they go back and continue their ministry in the states that and they continue to to help missionaries around the world and they feel more connected because they've been there they've seen it but we've had we've had couples you have we've had young couples that have come and spent a year with us in in ministry and really just kind of Started their ministry in Spain, and uh, helped get a church started. Helped in the local church, helped administration, and then they've gone back to their uh, home church and are involved in ministry under their pastor. And so, and they're heavily involved in missions. And as, we, as we've seen here on this trip, we ha- we have here we have uh, churches um, that are bringing young people and involving them in. In these missions experiences, so even if you're not called to be a missionary, everyone's called to missions to reach out exactly. beyond their borders and to reach out into, and, and we have the the ability to impact the world for global harvest.
2: A lot of times, I think when we give that, when we give God that opportunity through an overseas trip, you know, we do give Him opportunity for Him to speak to us, yes. and if that's to continually minister overseas. Then, then so be it in whatever form or function, but even if not, you, it's impossible to go overseas and come back and, and not change your thinking when when you give financially and and and, and when you when you hear about what's happening uh, across the world and if anything is just... I think, I think every person needs to go overseas just to see for themselves that what we are a part of is truly right. worldwide. Yeah. It's one thing to go to a youth camp, to go to a conference, an NYC. It's another thing when you, when you cross over to another continent and you see the kingdom of God
3: continually being established. I would also say that, but don't don't sit at home and do nothing and say, I'll go overseas and do it, right, because right. if you won't do it at home under your pastor, right. you won't do it overseas. And there's cases I've seen cases where, you go yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go and I'm gonna help the missionary or I'm gonna go overseas and do this or that. And well, how how much are you helping your pastor at home? What are you doing in your local church? Well, not nothing really. And so you've got to begin. I believe that same principle. What the Lord showed me. At, in the beginning, in Spain, I've got to work there like it's forever. And so even in your local church, you may feel that you may not be there forever. You may feel that ministry is going to expand and you're, the Lord's going to take you to a uh, different type of ministry. But while you are there, you've got to work like it is. you are there forever, like that is where God has called you for the rest of your life. And if you will learn to serve at that level, then the Lord will open up the doors mm-hmm. and other levels.
2: So that's amazing. Um, Kind of going back to your first few years in Spain, Mm -hmm. um, I know you kind of touched on it lightly, but what were, what were some of those thoughts and some of those insecurities and and, and you've shared a little bit of that, um, but how, um, how, how did you find that strength in, in the day to day to, to overcome that and, and throughout, you know, obviously there's that hive going there and of course obviously as you share that realizing realization that y'all want to stay longer but you know obviously you know a few years in obviously we we, we hear about the amazing revival that's happening um in Spain and I think it's so awesome that one of the first churches y'all were at was a cafe with, with two converts. Yeah. Um, you know, now to see where just the one church in Barcelona is at having revival, having multiple services, not to mention the many other churches throughout the country. But what were what were some of those moments where anxiety or fear or depression or second guessing um, or just straight up
3: insecurity hit and how did you overcome that? i think I think we all deal with insecurity to a certain extent um always I think what defines us is is pushing past that insecurity right and saying, okay, I'm secure, but really everyone else probably is too yeah and and pushing past and there's where it's- re- total reliance on God and knowing I can't do this, but through him i i I, I am going to do this. And, um, you know, it's, it's putting on the mind of Christ every day. Lord, I put on the mind of Christ when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I was a new creature. Now I've, my, my old way of thinking, my old insecurities have to be pushed to the side. Mm. Now that doesn't mean that those don't try to rise up. New situations, new circumstances, and that, that, that old thing may try to rise up. And we have to push it back and say, no, I put on the mind of Christ. And I put on the mind of Christ. I will think as He thinks, and when I think as He thinks, I will speak as He speaks. And so, um, I think it's a constant battle um, at times, and well, I guess in every level you're gonna. Uh, and if we are if we are wanting to grow, we're going to continue to face those insecurities. You know, if we're if we are comfortable where we are, then there aren't any insecurities. If we if we if we're comfortable with living in this uh, level. And the ministry that we have right now, you're not going to have to face insecurities. But if you want to do something more, if you want to do something greater, if you want to move into a new level, there's always going to be the insecurities. And so it's just making that decision that, okay, I I do feel insecure about this, but it's not about me. It's about souls. It's about what God wants to do through me. And um, it's also getting a revelation of who you are. Um, That is probably one of the most important things that we can Um, we can receive as children of God and especially as as young ministers is uh, a revelation of who we are we we have a revelation of the mighty God in Christ we have a revelation of who Jesus is but we haven't always have an understanding of who we are and the devil will play on that uh, and he will play on our fears and our insecurities if we do not have an understanding of who we are and a call and what our calling is. And so if we can, if we can open up our spirits and our minds and, and get that revelation where we understand who we are, that we are called of God, that we are men of God, women of God, it doesn't matter what your title may be, that can be stripped away. You can be a you can be a pastor one day and, and not a pastor the next. You can be an evangelist one day, and sometimes we we link ourselves with what we do. That's our identity. And so if that is taken away, then who am I? And so you, people become insecure because they are tied to that identity of what what is that position? I'm a youth pastor. I'm. Uh, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. What who? What 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 do you do? Well, I'm an evangelist. And we tie our identity to that function when really that's not who we are sure. we are called of god we are men and women of god so it doesn't matter what title that are, or that we have at that particular time and if we link ourselves to a particular um, title when that is stripped away then we we don't know who we are right who am I? What? What? A God moves and a situation changes. Now I'm no longer youth pastor. Now I'm no longer a pastor. Now I'm no longer evangelist. Who? Who am I? And our identity is stripped away because we linked it to that position. And that's why positions will come and go. We've got to link our identity to Jesus Christ and have an understanding of who who we are as men and women of God. God has called me to do this. God is—he uh, has anointed me to do this, and so even if I don't have a position or I don't have a title, this is who I am. Yeah. So
2: in reality, that you know, those insecurities are just, as you pointed out, which is so encouraging, just proof that we're not satisfied, and will either drive us to dependence upon ourselves, which yeah. will fail every time, which I think is so important for our generation to know, or it'll keep you at the level where you're at. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Is that—is that something
1: going? Is that something connected to the Moses moment that you mentioned earlier?
3: Yeah, I guess so. You know' it's, um, I, I had a man of God who looked me in the eye as I, as I expressed my insecurities to me, and he looked at me in the eye and he says, "Don't you understand who you are?" He said, Could you, do you even know?" He said, "Do you even know who you are and what God is about to do in you?" And this was before I began to see the results of uh, uh, things that I've seen. And he he was almost rebuking me, you know. <laughs> don't yeah. you know who you are? <laughs> and to be honest, I was like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Do <laughs> I guess not. That's when know? the stutter but, came. Yeah, I guess <laughs> not. And... and uh, it, it was a process. It was a process of, of getting a revelation of who I was. Yeah. I'll be honest. It was a, a process. I didn't wake up one day and say, I, I know who I am. No, it was a, a process of, 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 of the hand of God, of God, of, of trusting God and, yeah. and understanding who I was. Right.
1: Let's talk. Uh, I feel like that was a great,
2: great segue to get into. Because. Right. Okay. Um, so we're. I know we got. We're running out of time. So, um, with that being said, um, let's talk about the gifts that you have operated in, and and the things in the spirit that you have seen God do. The gifts of healing, the gift of miracles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think it would be so easy for you know our generation to again look and and just subconsciously think that. You know, either oh, you have it or you don't, or either, or that it just it all was just one switch that was flipped and it all happened overnight. Um, kind of describe that that process for us um, again. Did was that something that you had always operated in? Had you always seen
3: those things? Did you always know you would? Um, yeah, kind of, I, I think it's, it's I mean how much time do we have here because this could take a long time <laughs> oh, t- oh man I'll talk of the process minutes. it's 20-30 minutes that's up to you we're all packed I'm packed I'm packed too okay, okay. so we'll we'll write it up right up till 3 yeah mm-hmm. um, just whatever you feel you know I can see looking back now I can see little snippets of it all through my life of 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 of, of a desire to see things uh, it, it, it probably it started probably with my dad uh talking about the miraculous, talking about you know miracles and and uh I remember my dad taking my brother and I to uh Billy Cole Crusade you know Billy Cole was traveling throughout the United States and doing uh crusades holy ghost crusades and and uh, I remember my dad taking, saying, telling us, my brother and I, you know, this is supposed to be normal. This is how it's supposed to be, and we're supposed to have miracle signs and wonders. And it wasn't something that we necessarily grew up and saw on a on a regular basis. And uh, but my dad constantly saying, this is, you know, sewed that into me from a young child. And he would take me, take my brother and I, to different conferences and. And uh, because of the times, and my brother and I would sit on the front row, you know we'd save our seats and we'd sit there and we'd listen to people tell us, you know, uh, brother listen to the barns and the different ones that talk about miracle signs and wonders. And so I can see looking back now different uh, that, that things being sewn into me that I didn't really know was being put into me at the time. And uh, then there was a message that awoke something in me, and that was from Brother Jerry Dean. He preached it because of the times, and it was probably it had been 2004. It had been right before I went to Spain. It was probably two months before I went to Spain. Preacher Jerry Dean preached a message called "For His Name'sake," yes. and he made a, the statement in there. He said, "I submit to you that the the medicine cabinets of the the." Pentecostals are no different than the medicine cabinets of the pagans. <laughs> and and I, I, I remember that hit me. I was like, man, the guy's right. We say we believe in healing and, right. and, and miracles, and but we're no different than anyone else. <laughs> true, and, true Jerry Dean fashion. <laughs> exactly. And uh, at the end of that message, he I was sitting up at the balcony. It was a, it was a morning session. And he, he called you know, I want everyone to you know, young man under thirty who to come down, if you want the gifts of the spirit to be moving in your life then then to to come down here and I was like, man, I I want that, you know, and I, so I, I went. Down, I mean, I'm going down, so I went. I went down. And I crawled up on the platform with all the rest of the young people, and I'm like, you know, someone someone touched me. Someone like I'm, you know, I, you know, this makes sense to me. Let's do this. Why, well, you know, why why are we not seeing this? And it was it was something that just really resonated with me. And I, that weekend, I went to Florida, and it was it, I went to Florida and, and preached in uh, my grandfather's church, and I preached on faith and miracles. And uh, there was a lady that was paralyzed in a wheelchair. And uh, I went down and I... I prayed for her in the name of Jesus. Yeah. And I turned around and, man, she shot up out of there and, and she ran around the church. And I sat down shocked as everybody. I sat, down, <laughs> <laughs> I sat down on the platform on the and she's running around. She's shouting. She's crying. God yes. just healed her. And y'all I'm traded, shocked. Y'all traded places. I was like, oh my goodness, it really happened. You know? <laughs> it really happened. And, and uh, so that was, you know, a, a, another snippet, you know, that, that happened. And uh, then I, when we came back to the States, I had, uh, when we were, we had done a deputation, were there in Spain for four years, came back for our second deputation. I knew it was going to be different. I knew there was something different. And I, uh, I began to pray, Lord, what am I supposed to do on this deputation? What, how am I supposed to minister? And um, so the first service I go to, it wasn't a service I was going to be at. It was actually Brother Stone King was, uh, was there. And uh, he was preaching, and I was just kind of there as a guest. And so I got to sit down and have uh, dinner with uh, Brother Stone King. And, and we began to talk and connect. And it was in the service that night. The Stone King comes up to me, and he says, Come here, boy. He said. I want to lay hands on you. I'm going to give you the gift of faith. And so I lifted up my hands and and uh, he laid hands on me, and I promise you, it was like sticking your finger in a light socket. I mean, a, a bolt of lightning hit me, and I, I'm not someone who's like always experiencing, feeling this or feeling that, but that night, something, boom, yeah. hit me, yeah. and I knew something had was in me. I didn't know what to do with it, <laughs> but I knew I had something. I knew, I knew it was a combination of my hunger for the things of God right. and, a, and, a, and, and being willing and open. It wasn't because I was special or God chose me specifically. It was, it, was, it was only because I was willing, I was open, and I wanted to see more. And God saw an available heart, and God used by the stone king at that moment to say, come here, i want to pray for you and let the gift of faith flow through you. That changed me that night, and something, something was different. I began to preach different. There was a new faith in me, and I didn't really know what to do with it. And I began to preach faith and miracles and preach, you know, God, a healing God. God can heal your body. And I'd call people up and I'd have them pray for one another. And I noticed a few things would begin to happen, you know. Some people, little things would begin to get healed. And I said, okay. And it was during that process, um, there was Brother Stone King, other men of God in my life. I began to call and ask. And other people that I, the Lord began to connect me with people that I had Never been connected with it before, and it was just a god thing P- connections of of men of God that I had always looked up to and always admired that i right. 'd seen God used mightily in the gifts i 'd always said man i, I man i'd love that but i God connected me with these people it was I couldn't have made those connections. No. God began to connect me with those people, and I'd be able to talk with them and ask them about things, just like we're talking here, and say, well, when this happens, what do you do? And yeah, when this happens, what do you do? And and I began, I knew it was in me. The the, the the gift of faith was in me. The working of miracles, I began to to see that manifest in me. I began to see things happen. And But I really didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to operate in it. And it was men of God that helped to, to tell me what to do. When you feel this, do that. When, you, when, you're, when you're in this type of situation, pray like this and begin to guide me. And I remember another key part in that of kind of jumping off the deep end. I was in a service, and uh, I had been in many services, and, and, and uh, I would have people come up, and we'd pray together, and I'd pray specifically. But that night uh, I was in a small church, Probably 25 people, and the Lord spoke to me after the end of my message, and after after uh, preaching on faith and healing, the Lord spoke to me, said, "Now you do it, you pray for them." And the the thing came to my mind that comes to everybody, and what if they don't get healed? Exactly. You know, and so I stood there for about 30 minutes, it seems, you know, and I'm and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do here? Uh, And I made that decision. Okay. Who cares? You know, if they get healed, thank you, Jesus. If they don't get healed, I'm going tomorrow. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so I might as well try it out. And so I asked those to come up. If you need healing in your body, come up, whatever. If it's pain or sickness, come up. And I lined them across the front, and there was about 10 people or so that, that came around the front. And uh, the first one that was in line, so I went down to do it myself, and I said, like, well, I'm gonna try this out, you know? So I went down to the first lady and I said, ma'am, I said, uh, it's, I could see they'd helped her, she had limped up, they had, they'd helped her up, she had like a swollen ankle that, would, that, was, that was swollen, it was black and blue, she had twisted something that day, and uh, so they kind of helped her up to stand. And uh, I said, "Ma'am, I said it's very obvious what what uh, what you need from Jesus." be it for that. And himself. so I said, "I'm just gonna I'm gonna pray for you, and uh, I just want you to thank Jesus for healing you." And so she lifted her hands and began to thank Jesus. I laid down and touched that ankle. I said, "In Jesus' name, be healed." And uh, short prayer, very very short prayer. And then I stood up. I said, "Okay, now walk." And she took off running. She ran around the church, and I tried to act like I did that all the time, you know, like that
2: sort. <laughs> So you didn't go sit down this time no, and think no, about no. it. No, I, I, I expected it to
3: happen. I knew it was going to happen, but, but I, was, uh, I hadn't seen it happen quite like that. So I, so I went to the next person. Ma'am, what do you need? From Jesus, well I've got hip problems, I've got hip pain and and uh I said, Okay, well we're gonna pray for that. I, I lay I laid hands on her, prayed in Jesus' name be healed. Now now, sister, now you walk, the Lord has healed you and she took off running around the church and there and, and that night the about ten people that were up there, every single one of them were healed that night, and uh it was I, I I stepped into a new realm that night, and the key there was I died to my own uh, flesh. I died to my own pride right. of what if it doesn't happen? Right. And I decided, you know, if it doesn't happen, that's not up to me. That's up to God. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to believe that God is going to heal. I'm going to believe that God is going to do miracles. And, you know, what if it does happen? And I died to my own flesh, pushed those insecurities aside. And that was a turning point. That was a turning point when I, that night, everything shifted. When I decided, you know what? Who cares what people think? Who cares? You know, it's... Uh, It's not my problem. And, you know, Brother Cole said, uh, he said, if you take the fault, if it doesn't happen, you'll take the credit if it does happen. So we don't take the fault and we don't take the credit. And so that when I heard that statement, that was a great relief to me as well. All right. I'm going to pray with faith, believing it's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to take the fault. Yeah. Because if I'll take the fault, I'll take the credit when it does happen. I'll think that that's something that that, that, that happens, that, that that's through, that's me, And but it's not. It's God. God uses us, and I'm available. And I remember I remember asking, asking Brother Stone King, I said, Brother Stone King, I begin to see all these miracles everywhere. And I, and I talked, I called Brother Stone, I said, Stone King, I said, Brother Stone King, I'll be honest, I kind of feel like I'm a fraud. I said, I, I people are calling me, and they want me to come pray for the sick, and, and uh, feel like I'm a fraud. I said, I said, I really believe that anybody could do this. And, uh, and, and, and really they could be calling anybody to do this. And I'm, I'm really feel like I'm a fraud because anyone could do this. And he, and he, there was silence on the line for a second. and He said, yeah, Nathan, he said, you're probably right. Anyone could do it, but they're not all willing to do it. He said, "If you will be willing to," do, he said, "God is trusting you, and if God trusts you, God will use you." And so, when he told me that, I, I, I've prayed that prayer many times. God, I want you to be able to trust me. I want you to be able to trust me that that I'm not going to take the glory that is about you. Yes, anybody can do this um, if they if they will make themselves available to it. Yes, there are there are gifts of healing. There are gifts of miracles. Yes, there are people that God uses specifically, but I believe that those gifts are available to anyone who desires them. And if we will make ourselves available to them, it's the people with that the, at times that have less ability and less talent who God will use first because they know and understand that they can't do it by themselves. And um, so that was um, and it just grew. It grew and I began to see more and more and it and, you know, you, you think about people, people who pray the prayer of faith or see people who see blind eyes open or deaf ears open. You think that they just wake up one day and boom, they started praying for blind eyes. But it does not happen that way. At least it did not happen for me. But it was a process of my faith, including my faith, begin to grow. And as I begin to saw, see smaller things, I begin to believe God for bigger things. And faith is like elastic. If you'll stretch it, it will grow. And if you will continue to stretch that faith, it will grow until you can see greater and greater things. And so I began to pray and say, okay, God, uh, you know, I believe, believe, God, you're going to let me see blind eyes open. Lord, let me be able to see blind eyes open. And uh, the next service I was in, a man walked in with a cane, blind. And I thought, oh, oh, Lord, what have I got myself into? He answered your prayer. (laughs) And so, again, it's a new level. It's a new insecurity. It's so, okay. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be paralyzed there? Or are you gonna and you p- had that same mental... That same... Had to push it aside. Oh, I'm going to put on the mind of Christ. There's nothing that's impossible for God. If they want to be healed, I'm going I'm to do my part, and I'm going to pray for them. So I prayed for them that night. Nothing happened. I went to another church the next night, and in walks another lady with a cane, blind. And I was like, oh, man... I gotta preach on healing again, (laughs) you know, and so, but I pushed it aside again. No, I'm gonna preach healing, and I'm gonna preach God can heal blind eyes. I'm gonna preach that God can open deaf ears. I prayed for that person that night. Nothing happened. Again, a third third night in a row, a different church. A man walks in with a cane. He's blind, and I'm like a third time, you know. I'm like, man, what are the chances? What are the odds of someone with blindness? With Literally with a cane and blind walking in three different churches, three nights in a row. And the third night, I was like, okay, God, I see what you're doing here. And I just kind of, again, I put my insecurity and said, I threw that fear out and cast that fear out. I said, okay, it's not about me. If they have faith to come up and be prayed for, I'm going to have faith to, be, to pray for them. And I, I prayed for that person that night. Nothing happened. But I kept pushing it. I kept stretching it. I kept stretching it. And I and I, I kept praying because I, I told myself it is going to happen. It is going to happen. I'm going to keep praying, and it is going to happen. And um, and uh, the first time I saw it, um, I laid hands on a girl. She was blind in one of her eyes, and uh, she came up to the front. I prayed for her like I prayed for everybody else. I just prayed, believing it's going to happen. And uh, I said, she came up to the front. I said, all right, church, how many believe that God can open blind eyes? The church is a raise your hand, which everybody believes if they're not up front, you know. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Everybody lives <laughs> up ahead. This is true. I'll believe from <laughs> over here. But, but when you're up there in front, you know, it, you have to realize the pressure is not on you. The pressure is on God. Right, right. And I believe that God, he likes to be put on the spot. And so I said, all right, we're going to pray. I'm going to lay hands on him. We're going to believe that God's going to open his eye." And um, I put my hand on it. In Jesus' name, I command blindness to go. I command this eye to open in the name of Jesus. And uh, then I leaned down and said, Ma'am, now rub your eye and open your eye and, and look around you. And she rubbed her eye and she, she opened her eye and began to look around. And uh, she, her, her accountant has changed. And like, she just, she begins weeping and crying. She's dancing. And uh, of course I immediately knew she could see. And, but I leaned down just to make sure, you know, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I said, can you see? <laughs> and she's like, yes, yes, I can see. I can see. And so yeah. I, you know, I, I acted like I'd done this a hundred times and I told the church, she's now can see, you know? <laughs> and so of course the church, uh, uh, they begin to shout and, and but, once, I, once you've seen it one time, you can see it again. Wow! That night, I yeah. went to a different church and saw another blind eye open. That same service, I saw a, a lady, a, a young girl, 18 years old, who had been born basically deaf. She had to hear, have hearing aids, and even with her hearing aids, she could not hear very well. But we took her hearing aids out, we prayed, and immediately her ears popped open, and she began to hear this 18-year-old just weeping and crying. That night, I saw another deaf ear open. And and so once you see it once, it's easy to go back there. Yeah. It's easy to pray for it again and that and so that faith begins to grow and, and so you have faith to go back to and, and so when you pray for someone who has a blind eye, when you can remember that last one, it build it helps your faith. Right. And so um, for me and maybe other people, it's an immediate thing. But for me, it was a process of that faith growing, that faith growing, and then, then, and, and then as as mir- many miracles begin to happen, and more and more things, the crowds begin to get bigger. And so, okay, now I've gone from praying for ten people at a time. Now, how do I pray for a hundred people at a time? Now. I have five hundred people in the altar i don 't have time to lay hands on every one of them now it 's gone to a thousand people now i 've got two thousand people in the altar. How do we operate in this level. And, and, and I called Brother Stone King, <laughs> going back to him. I said, all right, Brother Stone King, I've been praying for people one-on-one, but now I cannot pray for everybody. How do I do it? And, you know, he began to explain Now you're moving into that level of faith where you have to just speak the word. you just speak the word and believe it's going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, so I begin to just try it out. And, um, those three levels of faith that are, that are so important that, uh, you know that that were that, that that and I see I, I see it like this in the in the book of Acts. We see in the book of Acts, uh, people tarried for the Holy Ghost. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And then while they yet spoke, they received the Holy Ghost. And so we see. Kind of in my opinion, three levels of faith even in the book of Acts, in the beginning they tarried for something, and then when they laid hands on them they received it, and then, as they just were speaking, they received it yeah. and I believe the same thing happens in the gift of faith and the and, and of miracles there there are levels of faith when we begin to pray for miracles that uh, that person may we may pray for them one or for, may pray for them one time we may nothing may happen we say let 's pray again yeah. let 's pray a second time we pray a third time and um, and and it 's almost a tarry and we've prayed several times time and then it happens. Then we then we move to another level where there's faith. And you know if 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 the man of God prays for me, if he lays hands on me, then I'll be healed. And where we there's that contact that is that is that is made and we lay hands on them and it and then it happens. Then there is that other level where we just speak the word. And um And I've found that there's different places where there's different levels of faith and you can go into a church and kind of feel where that level of faith is. And either because they have not seen it before or there has not been teaching in that area, teaching, Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so they don't know how to connect to it. And so they may be in a stage where we're pressing to pray to see something happen. It may take a few moments to begin to press through to see that miracle. But then you go to another congregation, another church where... They've been preaching on the miraculous. They've been building faith. And, and so there we're just going to lay hands. And, and as we lay hands and maybe lay hands on one another, and now the miracles begin to happen. And But then you go to another place where uh, the faith now has been lifted and there's a great expectancy. And, and we don't even have to lay hands on people. We're just going to speak the Word. And as you begin to worship, it's going to happen. And so it's a progression of of, 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 of learning to utilize what you have because as God puts those gifts of faith in you and God puts the working of miracles in you, as God puts the gifts of healing in you, it's in there but you don't always know what to do with it. Many times it's like a seed that needs to be watered and as it waters, as you water it and study, as you water it through uh, other men of God speaking into your life and and helping you as you water it through prayer and uh, those things begin to grow and show forth fruit. And so... There's few people that that get the whole tree in the beginning. Now, that has happened with a few people that God gives them something and and boom, it's the it's a tree and it already has fruit on them. But for many people, it's something that begins to grow and it begins to flourish and then it begins to give forth fruit. Yeah. Wow.
2: (laughs) I love hearing it all over again. It's awesome. There's always something new you pick up on. I think we found what he's passionate about. <laughs> I think so. So we have five minutes, so do we do a part two or do um, we just end no, it? No, let's,
1: uh, let's just get Brother, Brother Harry. Man, thank you so much. This is awesome. Um,
2: I'm ready to go pray for
3: someone now. Yeah, I know, man. I am too. Well, let's pray for those you know who listen to this as well, for the young ministers that, that uh, the— uh, Gifts of faith and gifts of miracles and uh, gifts of healing would be released. And uh, even through podcasts, even can be released and them. That. that seed can be sown in them. And if they will water it, if they will stay submitted to yes. their leadership, stay submitted to their pastors, then God, God will bless them. And that's one of the keys that we could spend an hour on, on submission. And being under authority, that is a key to being used in in the gifts of the Spirit. If you want to survive spiritually, being used in the gifts of the Spirit, you have to be under submission. There has to be a pastor in your life, a man, a God in your life that can correct you, that can tell you no, that can rebuke you. Because if not, you'll have the ten- our flesh has has the, ten- the tendency to want to to go in the wrong direction. One thing. Uh, Brother David Shatwell told me, he said, Nathan, he said, always eat the crumbs of humility. He said, Every day, look for a way to eat the crumbs of humility. If you will eat the crumbs of humility, God will not make you eat the whole loaf. He said, but if you do not eat the crumbs every day, he says, takes when someone treats you bad, when someone doesn't speak to, the way, the, speak to you the way that they should speak to you, eat those crumbs. Just eat those crumbs. Just let that humiliate you. Let that, let, eat those crumbs of humility. When your flesh wants to rise up and say, don't you know who I am? Eat those crumbs of humility. When someone treats you bad and your flesh wants to, to lash out to them and say, I want to show you who I am. He said, eat those crumbs of humility. And if if you'll eat those crumbs of humility, God will use you. And God is looking for vessels to use if they will stay humble, if they will stay submitted. Let's pray yes, right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, for every person, Lord, that yes, would hear God. these podcasts. Lord, I pray, God, that you would release into them the gifts of the Spirit, Lord, to be operational in their lives. Those, those who are desiring to know more, those, Lord, who are desiring to see more, Lord, I pray, God, if they will stay submitted, if they will stay humble, Lord, that you would begin to sow into them, Lord, the gifts of the Spirit, Lord, that that seed would go into their spirit and it would begin to grow and it would begin to manifest and we begin to, to grow fruit and manifest itself in the name of Jesus. Lord, I loose it right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. I take dominion and authority over every spirit, every demonic attack that would try to steal the seed that would be planted in them. In the name of Jesus, I lose faith. I lose miracles. I lose signs and wonders to be manifest, manifest in this last day for a global harvest in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
1: Oh, man. Um, do you have a question for Timothy?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have an answer for Paul. <laughs> well, I will say this. I, I feel a little young to be uh, uh, look, uh, ta- looked at as a Paul right now. Um, I'm still a young man. But uh, uh, no, I, I, I consider you guys uh, uh, co-laborers. Uh, I may be just a few more years advanced uh, in what I have experienced, but I truly believe this is for everybody. I believe that uh, all of you can experience this, and so God does not look at look, does not look at age. Um, God looks at availability. If we look at the apostles and how they were used, mm-hmm. they were all young men that were probably in their twenties yeah. when they changed the world. And so, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't. Uh, look at our age, but I mean, if I start asking Landon questions here, we could go on for hours of, of how every, how everything. That may be dangerous. <laughs> Man,
1: that'll be next time. Yeah. That'll be next time. I'd rather hear it. Thank you so much. Landon,
2: thank you so much. This was this so unbelievable. It. Uh, so. Thank you for your vision and, and setting it all up to happen. I think there 's going to be a lot of young men and young ladies in, in our generation that 's going to to receive so many things and, and, and that seed 's going to be sown and, and um, i believe, I believe like never before our generation, the millennial generation, and I believe the end time generation mm-hmm. I, I believe're we're seeing we 're going to see God come back, and I believe he 's going to use everyone in a greater proportion. Unlike anything we've ever seen, and, and brother Herod alluded to this and 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 brought this up, and I'll just I'll just throw this in. I think one of the things I caught um, early on was that if we have the Holy Ghost, we have access to those gifts. Yes. We just have to, as 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 Paul told Timothy, to to stir up those gifts that are inside of you. And so, you know, we're not reaching out to something that is above us or out of our reach until we attain some super spirituality. We just have to water that seed that's sown, and we just have to stir that gifting on the inside of us, and, and God's going to do it, and it's, it's going to be exciting. Right. Man, thank
1: y'all. Man, God's, God's connected this, and I, I believe he's going to bless it, and so thank y'all for being a part. This has been Timothy's Table, the second edition. Hope you enjoyed it, and uh, you'll hear from us next time.
0: What I appreciate the most about missionary Nathan Herod is what you just felt his ability to be able to simplify spiritual things things that we tend to overcomplicate in Christianity and and break them down to terms where you understand and like you you believe it you believe that because you have the spirit of God that God can use you in gifts that we tend to think are only for certain people. And so, you know, I just, <laughs> I, I I truly hope and I pray that because of this interview, because of this exchange, you leave today knowing that God absolutely can use you, that that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if it dwells in you, then you have the ability, the authority, and the activation of the gifts of the Spirit, and God can use you today to heal someone if you make yourself available and if you believe with humility in the power and the authority that God's Word has given us. I want to give a huge thanks to missionary Nathan Herod as well as my friend Landon Gore. They were absolutely unbelievable in helping out with this interview, and so thank you to y'all, and thank you for listening. Thank you for, if you've listened now to both interviews, and if you're going to continue to listen, awesome. (laughs) But if you enjoyed this, if, if you felt like it helped you, then please subscribe, and you'll be notified of future editions of Timothy's Table, as well as The Timothy Project with AJ and Amanda Holloway. If you didn't listen to his first edition of The Timothy Project, he's doing He and his wife are doing a series on kingdom management, and he's giving me a little preview of what the future holds, and it's going to be so good. And so go listen to that. It's on this podcast. We're partnering up Timothy Project and Timothy's Table underneath the Timothy Network. And so go check that out. Listen to it. Share it with somebody. And um, yeah. We hope you enjoyed this interview. We hope that it blessed you, that it helps you. Once again, my name is Taylor Fairbanks with Timothy's Table. Until next time.